0: Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting The Motley Fool. LinkedIn Jobs matches people to your role based on more of who they really are, their skills, interests, and even how open they are to new opportunities. For $50 off your first job post, go to linkedin.com slash fool. That's linkedin.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today, we're talking energy and industrials. It's Thursday, the 26th of July. I'm going to be talking about the defense sector. I'm your host, Sarah Priestley, and joining me on Skype is Motley Fool contributor and all things defense expert, Lou Whiteman. How are you doing, Lou?
2: Good, good. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, On Skype all the way from New York State, is that correct?
2: Atlanta,
1: actually. Atlanta. Oh, wow. Yes. I know nothing. Other direction. Yes. Other direction. Yes, much warmer. Yes. So <laughs> you're dealing with the heat wave right now. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: we, we should say before we start this episode that it has been uh, pre recorded on the 2nd of July. Uh, we had a great listener question about why we don't talk about defense stocks very often. And the sad truth of this is that it's a personal failing. I don't know the defense sector very well. So it's, it's uh, frankly all my fault. Um, But if you do look at some well-known defence stocks, Boeing, Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, Lockheed, they're all up over the past year, albeit to varying degrees. And in the last five years, uh, they have all doubled in value. So it's probably worth considering the industry, definitely, for some investors. Uh, Lou, I imagine the current political climate has contributed a fair amount to this rally of late with a very uh, pro-defence Republican in the White House.
2: It has. And even more so than the party in power, it's the fact that we don't have a divided government anymore. Uh, You're right. These stocks, the the big names, they're ups. uh, Some of them have doubled in the last three years. And that has to do largely they came off a low base in the final years of the Obama administration with the Republican uh, Congress. You may recall there were a lot of budget battles. It ended up with the Budget Control Act of 2011, which was sequestration and spending caps. Uh, there was a hope with the election in November 2016 that the, the purse strings would loosen with the new administration. It's taken time, but of course we did get a two-year budget earlier mm-hmm. this year. And so what you're seeing is, is these companies that were at sort of depressed valuations because of the budget battles in Washington, they've been uh, freed from that and they are running now – Potentially, they've gotten ahead of themselves. But, um, but yes, it's, it's on the hopes that a Republican Congress with a Republican president, uh, we're going to see an increase of spending. And so far, it is happening. So, mm-hmm. so far, so good.
1: Um, For my benefit and for the benefit of listeners, can I ask you a very basic question, sort of on the background Uh, of the defence industry? What kinds of things does it include? Because my my mind automatically goes to weapons manufacturers and things like that, but it's actually a much broader industry, isn't it, with sort of services, etc.?
2: It is. It is. The the big guns, so to speak, are the names you mentioned, uh, Lockheed Martin being the biggest and maybe an $85 billion market cap. And then a handful of other companies that are focused mostly on weapons platforms, your General Dynamics, Northrop Grumman, uh, Raytheon. Uh, the Boeing defense business is only 20% of the company, but it's still, you know, a huge, a huge contractor. Beneath that, though, you have a lot of second-tier companies, L3 Holdings, uh, Huntington Ingalls is a prime contractor that only does ships. You have a lot of suppliers uh, who make the components. And then you also have the so-called Beltway Bandits, the government services companies that do consulting, IT. They do a lot of work for the Pentagon and for uh, national security, but they also increasingly are doing business for the civil agencies, uh, managing, say, the Department of Education's computer systems and things mm-hmm. like that, and um, that's been an area of particular growth in recent years as some of that IT outsourcing has uh, made its way into the contracting pipeline. Uh, broadly, I would define it, the industry as all of these companies. What they all have in common is is they all count on the government as their primary customer or or governments as their primary customer. It's a very different animal dealing with a government entity as your customer versus dealing with the private sector. And it is an area of expertise for all of these companies that they know, hopefully they know how to deal with the government and, um, and, and do business with them.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, And what little I do know of the industry um, is that there's been a period of, or there there has historically been a period of consolidation um, that's kind of formed what we have now in the US. Can you just give a, a bit of a background on that too?
2: Sure, sure. There was constant consolidation. Uh, The last big boom was when the uh, Berlin Wall came down and the the kind of the end of the Cold or the the thawing of the Cold War. Uh, The theory was that defense spending would go down because we no longer have any enemies, and therefore we needed fewer contractors. Uh, That played out into the late nineties when the Pentagon started getting worried that their supply base was getting too small. They blocked a big Lockheed deal. I think, 1998. And that has been the end of prime consolidation. And we're unlikely, unless we one day see a transatlantic deal, we're unlikely to see Lockheed by General Dynamics or Northrop and Raytheon merge. Uh, the other side of that, though, is is the Pentagon, as the primary customer, is very mindful to keep these companies healthy. So, there is Nothing's guaranteed, but uh, there is sort of a feel that with any of these companies, there will be a steady stream of business. It's in the customer's best interest to make sure that these five or six remaining primes... Are healthy and strong, and it's not in the customer's best interest to see any of them uh, left out left out of the pipeline. So, Mm -hmm. it's it's an interesting relationship at the top. You don't see the I mean, they buy and sell smaller units all the time, but you don't have that big bang deal. But you do have a healthy and profitable supply base that you can buy into.
1: one thing that I did kind of, I'm just doing some reading before the show, uh, so my my knowledge is limited, uh, to put it mildly, but uh, I was reading about how we used to, defense companies used to work directly with the government solely, and that was kind of the US and and some other power players really dictated who these companies could work with. And obviously now that's sort of changing slightly, um, are you seeing the markets opening up in terms of and offering growth opportunities for these companies? Or or are countries sticking generally with operations based within their uh, boundaries?
2: Increasingly, international is important to these companies. And that that is, again, one of the offshoots of what happened in the later years of the Obama administration, where the the Pentagon was at least slowed, if not crippled, in what they could buy. Uh, Raytheon, in particular, has a goal, I believe, of getting 50% of its revenue uh, internationally. We've seen all these companies look abroad. Um, th- they've also tried to diversify in terms of with some of the IT units going to the states and going local. But yes, they, there are limits with the Trump administration. These limits are changing and maybe loosening some, but I mean, it, it, they're selling to allies. Uh, but. Increasingly working with the government, uh, the Patriot missile from Raytheon is a great example. Uh, The THAAD system, which is an anti-ballistic system made by um, Lockheed that has been in the news with the North Korea threat. Uh, there are opportunities overseas. It's it's a different world. It's it's slow growth, but with the U.S. government's backing, with allies, there has been increased growth internationally. And this is something. This is the way they can diversify. You mm-hmm. can't diversify by saying, "All right, fine, we will sell our tanks to both the Pentagon and." General Motors, you know, I mean, so you you have to diversify with other countries and working with allies. Uh, the the federal government is is largely supportive of that, if only because it can spread research and development spending and uh, maybe bring down prices in the long term for the Pentagon. Mm
1: hmm. Um, I actually used to work in, aeros- in a, for an aerospace and defence company, so which obviously makes this lack of uh, understanding a bit more embarrassing. But I do I do know that one thing that was particularly uh, up for debate for us was where we invested outside of the country. Um, On defense contracts, there was usually a sort of an exchange of IP too. Um, So, and that was very much a debate of you know how much IP do you keep for yourself and how much do you trade as a payment almost for investing in these in these markets. So, I know that that's also a concern. Um, But sort of, you
2: see, sorry, you you just you're seeing that play out right now with the F thirty five, which is a huge program. It's going to be a trillion dollar program, the Joint Strike Fighter for Lockheed. Uh, It was supposed to go to our NATO ally Turkey. But Turkey right now is a very different country than the Turkey mm-hmm. that NATO, as part of NATO, ordered those planes. And uh, there's talk of lawmakers now blocking that sale. Uh, you know, it's not going to sink Lockheed, but it it there is a constant challenge even among NATO, even among allies, of of where technology goes. And uh, yes, the government is definitely mindful of that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: LinkedIn Jobs matches people to your role based on more of who they really are, their skills, interests, and even how open they are to new opportunities. That's why a new hire is made every 10 seconds using LinkedIn. LinkedIn is more than the world's largest professional network. It's also a better way to find great talent. In fact, 70% of the U.S. workforce is already on LinkedIn. And get this, 22 million, 22 million professionals view and apply to jobs on LinkedIn every week in every industry, including yours and mine. If you're not using LinkedIn for your hiring needs, frankly, you're missing out. Hurry to LinkedIn.com slash fool for $50 off your first job post. That's LinkedIn.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Um, so to sort of get to the, uh, the the meat of the discussion, then the thing that everybody's interested in hearing is what would you consider to be top stocks within this segment?
2: Sure. Sure. Well, if you think about the picture we've painted of an industry where you know that you can't really consolidate at the top, uh, and everybody is getting some share of the pie, uh, th- the hard part is to find the overperformer. Uh, for me, among the primes, it's General Dynamics right now because of their non-military business. They have an aerospace unit, Gulfstream,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: which makes business jets, and that is a that whole sector has not recovered from the two thousand eight recession. And um, Gulfstream uh, Gulfstream has struggled. General Dynamics has been in the penalty box. Uh, they are, I think, if you look now compared to their peers, maybe a 15 percent valuation discount to, in terms of price to earnings, a maybe 10 percent discount price to sales to a Northrop or a Raytheon. There's reason to believe the Gulfstream and the business jets are slowly coming back there. Uh, the tax law has changed depreciation, which helped. Uh, slowly, the fleet is aging and, they, and companies are forced to look at business jet replacements. The used inventory is getting more expensive. It's going to be slow, but I do believe the business jet market is coming back. Mm-hmm. Gulfstream is going to be a, um, a real beneficiary of that. They have real good new products coming on the market. I believe slowly over time, over say maybe it's going to take the next three or four quarters, you're going to see Gulfstream come back you're going to see the market reward that. And even if they just close the valuation gap they have with the others, that's a chance for upside that you might not see in the others, which are very fully valued. So I really like Gulfstream right now.
1: I would agree with you because I think a lot of people listening think private jets. And their mind immediately goes to sort of these billionaires as individual buyers. But actually the bulk of this market is corporations. And Mm -hmm. when came the 2008 uh, financial crisis and all that came with that? there's very much the perception of austerity at that that corporate level. Um, And as we're starting to see a shift and everybody calming a little bit, I mean, I think there's there's always fears around after in recent memory, you have such a uh, profound recession, but definitely, we're starting to see spending on the up at the corporate level. And that's what will drive this market. Um, Sure.
2: If nothing else, it's bottomed out and it's slowly coming back. Uh, Gulfstream is in a good position. They have new products coming out ahead of uh, their arch rival, which is Textron, Cessna. And so as this comes through, I think I think you're going to see Gulfstream hopefully outperform their rivals. but But if nothing else, if they could just get back towards where they were. 10 years ago, again, I think General Dynamics stock, that's the reason for the discount. So, hopefully, and I believe that at, as Gulfstream recovers, you're going to see that that discount close.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the services side, you mentioned a couple of companies earlier that uh, you thought were interesting.
2: Sure, sure. Lidos is the one I would look at more than anything. The ticker there is LDOS. And they, thanks to a deal in 2016 that purchased the IT business of Lockheed Martin, they are the largest business in terms of revenue, in a area where scale is very important, just manpower, getting these big contracts. The contracts are ever bigger. Uh, now, because of this, the, w- with the budget deal passed earlier this year, a lot of this IT work is what got pushed to the sidelines or, or delayed. They weren't going to stop buying F-35s because of sequestration. What they did was they stopped awarding these IT contracts. Mm-hmm. Most of these companies, Lidos included, are are forecasting a very strong back end back half of 2018 as these contracts get done. Lidos is going to be the primary beneficiary of that, if, if not one of the top beneficiaries. They have a four billion dollar defense healthcare deal that's going to cycle in. It's pretty expensive; it's 23 times earnings on a trailing basis. But assuming that business comes in, and I do think we're going to see it in the next half of the uh, second half of this year. The price looks a little more attractive with that PE coming down, and they are the winner in a space that is that should outperform over the over the next year or so. And I think they're a good
1: a good company to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, and another one I wanted to mention because in, living in around DC, it's you see all these names so frequently. Anytime you drive mm-hmm. out to the airport at Dulles, uh, you go through Reston and you see all of these names. Is um, Booz Allen Hamilton?
2: Yes. Yes. Which is unfortunately best known now, I think, is the place where Edward Snowden worked. Mm. And uh, they still do have some of that legacy, but they are a very well run company. They are have a unique culture. Where they are very focused on the consulting end too, which tends to be higher margin. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do. There is a little more risk there because they do have ongoing investigations. Not so much with Snowden, but there were some billing inquiries, which I don't think anything's going to come out of. But uh, you should definitely look into that. But that is that is a very solid company for a long-term hold. They're not going to be the biggest. They haven't participated in consolidation the way some of these IT players like. Uh, like Leto's did. But this is a well-run company that, um, that I really like as a, as a long-term investment.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so, is there anything else you want to add before we sort of start to wrap up the show that you think investors looking into the space should know?
2: Well, maybe uh, just a couple of words of caution on what to look for, for what could go wrong. Uh, as mentioned, this, the, the deal that we reached to uh, end budget caps, it was a two-year deal. Now that means fiscal year 2020, we could see those caps put back in place. Now there's a lot of reason that that should not happen, not just on the defense side, but on the civil side, that it is inflation has occurred over the few years. And we just the government needs to be spending more than those cap levels. That said, this DC is not a rational town. Uh, <laughs> and I do believe that depending on how the midterms go, if we end up with a split government, the current administration is going to find it very hard to make a budget deal, and that is a risk. Uh, what we saw before is Wall Street definitely was well aware of that risk and probably overly punished the stock. So, if you're buying in now or if you're holding any of these stocks, just be aware. Long term, the companies will be fine. You're not at risk of losing your money, but short term, it could be very turbulent for these companies if November doesn't go for the um, for the White House's way. Mm-hmm. Uh, You know, longer term, just in terms of the cyclical nature of this business, it's 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 definitely a cyclical business, but it's also it it doesn't go with the business cycle the way other industries do because it's so reliant on the government, which is both a frustration, but it can be a good thing. I I think back uh, in the late 90s, I was doing venture capital in northern Virginia. And everybody made fun of these government services companies. So why would you want to do business with the government? And then the tech bubble burst. And it was really funny over the next few months, the companies that happened to make, make it through that, that were mocking the government, were all of a sudden pivoting to government. <laughs> and that's that's a good reminder that you know the, the nice the Pentagon is a boring customer, the federal government is a boring customer, and there's lots of drama, but it's also a customer that at the end of the day is, is more likely to pay its bills than being the server farm for e-toys. And um, just as you're picking a long-term sector, uh, I I think that's a, that's just my little pitch for the defense industry, is that the world isn't getting safer, There are there is turbulence, there is political drama to put up with, but these are well-run companies selling a product that's in demand to a customer who at the end of the day can pay for it and uh, especially for really long-term holders that just want to sleep at night this (laughs) this is a good sector to look at i think
1: yep excellent well that's uh wonderful thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today so thank you very much lou
2: thank you it's my pleasure
1: well, that's it from us today. If you would like to get in touch, please feel free to email us at full.com or tweet us on Twitter at MFIndustryFocus. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thank you, as always, uh, to the marvelously patient Austin Morgan for mixing the show. For Lou, I'm Sarah Priestley. Thanks for listening and Fool on.